Amen. I, I want you to think with me, going back to childhood. Think back to when you were a kid and you were dreaming forward and you were thinking, man, one day I'm going to be, probably a lot of us at one time, especially boys, I'm going to be a policeman, I'm going to be a fireman. I remember playing basketball in the driveway and I can remember playing with me or playing with a few of my friends and I remember us dreaming, one day we're going to be in the NBA. I remember doing a countdown just all by myself, you know, I'm hitting the last second shot, winning the NBA championship. I remember that dream. The dream came to a pretty quick, abrupt end when I realized I was slow and was not able to jump. But, you know, I used to dream that for a long time about, I'm going to play in the NBA someday. All of us at some time in life had a dream. I'm looking forward to the future. Matter of fact, I think it's probably true that we don't stop that kind of forward thinking. We, we, we tend to think when I'm in when I'm in elementary age, well, I can't wait till I'm a teenager. When I'm a teenager, I can't wait till I get to college. When I'm in college, I can't wait to get out of college. And then when I'm a young adult, well, I can't wait until this happens. And we tend to always think down the road and think a few years down the road or maybe a decade down the road and think, man, what's life going to be like when I get to this point? And we have all kinds of dreams. I, I, but I'm not talking today about career dreams or or family dreams, or financial dreams, or, or family dreams, or, or travel dreams, or retirement dreams. Not that any of those are bad. I, I want us to think about dreaming further down the road with focused, God-sized dreams. Dreams that entail what does God want to do in me? What does God want to do through me? What are, what are God's plans for me down the road as I mature in Christ and as I grow in Christ What is God's plan for me two years down the road, a year down the road, six months down the road, ten years down the road? What what is God doing in me? had a conversation the other day with a young man. His dream was simply this. He said, I want to get debt-free before I turn 30 years old so I can give more to God's kingdom and his work. I was like, whoa. That's a great dream. That's a, that's a God-focused dream. That's what I'm talking about. We've been on this journey asking God, God, what's next? God, we're dreaming for the body of Center Point. Where are we going next two, three years? What do you have for us? We're not talking about attendance numbers. We're not talking about, God, you make this church be a church of 500. John, you make this church be a 700 church. God, you make this be a... That's, we haven't been talking about that. We haven't been talking about... God, how many will we baptize? God, we want to baptize 50 next year. God, we want to baptize 100. That's not the type of dream. We haven't been talking about the size of our offerings. God, would you give this kind of money, that kind of money? Well, that's not the kind of dream. We've not been talking about, God, how big will you make our children's ministry? I, I can honestly tell you, as we sit in our gatherings with our leadership, and we've been dreaming, and we've been thinking, and we've been praying, not once can I, do I recall a conversation and come up and say, well, let's, let's work towards being a church that's this big or, or a church that's doing, doing a, this kind of ministry. What we've been dreaming about basically has wrapped around the idea is that we want to be a kingdom-focused church. We, we want to be a church that says, what is God's plan? What is God doing? And, and we want to be about that. What is God's kingdom here on earth? And how do we live that out today? I, I believe it's easy for us to lose focus. As individuals, as the church, as, as leaders, it's easy to lose focus. I believe many churches and many church leaders are out of focus, and that's why I believe the culture is where it's at today is because the church has lost focus. You know, if you put a set of binoculars up to your eyes and you start looking around and you have a little focus button, very easily, can you easily bump that little focus button or you can just move the binoculars a little bit away or too close and you go out of focus. 
So easy for the church to do that, lose our focus. And so what we're doing is we're focusing in as a church, and we're going, all right, we're going to return 15 years old, November 2 and 3. Do you guys know there's a birthday weekend coming that? You, you all got that on your calendar? Hold on a minute. I'm seeing some head nods. Let me just remind everybody. Pull out your daytime, oh, daytimer, that's old. Pull out your iPhone. <laughs> See, now I'm wake you all up. Pull out your iPhone, pull out your device, however it is, and put November 2 and 3 on your calendar. Matter of fact, one thing's in a bulletin about that, the birthday party on November 2, and then November 3, that Sunday morning is going to be a great day of celebration. You're going to be hearing about that as, as that gets closer. But November 2 and 3 is going to be our 15th birthday weekend. And so we're looking forward and saying, all right, God, we want to focus in we want to know, Lord, what is year 16? What is year 17? What does year 18 look like? See, the kingdom of God is the reign of God in today's world. So as God reigns in this world and he reigns and rules in the life of Center Point Christian Church, we're saying, God, help us focus in and be about your business. See, the kingdom of God must be the central focus of life and the church, and we need to seek to align with his will and his purposes and his direction. And so that's what we're striving to do. Now, last week, we started on a journey talking about our mission. And so we stepped back and said, okay, let's look at the mission, God's plan for us. And it's put together in Matthew 28. And here's what it says. All right, matter of fact, why don't you just read this with me? Join with me in reading this great passage. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That passage of Scripture is what is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission, what we have been given as disciples of Jesus to go and to do. That's our mission. And we summarized this passage last week and said what we're going to call that as God's mission. And one simple statement for our church is that we want to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what that's about. When he says you go, he's saying is you go into the whole world and you teach people who Jesus is. In other words, you go and find people and you say, here's who Jesus is. But once they come to realize who Jesus is, you don't leave them there. You continue to teach them, help them follow, and you continue to teach them so they become disciples. And so that's finding and following Jesus. It's all about making disciples who make disciples. See, as we come to Christ, we should come to Christ, and then we should grow where we then bring other people along so they come to Christ. And so that's helping people find and follow Jesus. It's our mission, every one of us. That's what we as a church. So we're trying to say, how do we focus in, have a kingdom focus? Behind our mission, we've got to talk today about our motive. What, what, what is it that keeps us motivated? If I tell you, hey, just here's your mission, go and do it, without understanding the motive behind it, I think we'll fall short. I don't think we'll be driven as much. I don't think we'll be as passionate about it if we don't understand our motive. See, what is the heart behind our mission and our vision that we're talking about is the motive of love, being driven by love. The great commission, it's all about our mission of making disciples, and the great commandment is the motive, which is love. The Great Commission establishes our priorities. Here's what we're supposed to be doing, making disciples, while the Great Commission clarifies our passion, which is 
love, driven by love. Jesus summarized the law and the prophets and all the teaching of the Old Testament into one simple statement. Matthew 22, we see he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, what was going on there, if you're familiar with the text, is Jesus was being tested by the religious leaders. They were trying to trick him up and see, does he really get all the old substance law? Do they understand it? Because they're trying to disqualify who he is. And they're like, which one is the greatest? And Jesus just kind of breaks it down and says, listen, it's really simple. Love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He says, here's two commands. He says, you take all the commands, all the, the laws of the Old Testament, over 600 of them, and they boil down to these two simple things. And so the Christian motive, we the church as individuals should be motivated by love, to commit to making disciples, to go after our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus without love, Actually, the Bible says that's kind of like a resounding, clanging noise or cymbal. It's kind of like musical instruments that are out of tune. It's kind of like the kid who's picking up the drum set and just starts banging it because he doesn't know how to play. That's what it is to God's ears. If we go about our mission without it being driven by love, then it's just noise in his ears. I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. What was driving God to send Jesus? What was driving God to send Jesus? Love. Love was driving God to send Jesus. For God, so what? Love the world. That's you and me, right? That he gave his only son. He gave his only, he could have very easily said, man, all those people down there, I love them. I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to be here in heaven with me. I want to celebrate with them. I really care about them. But no way, my son is my son and I'm keeping him. I'm not going to send a helper. I'm not going to send someone across. Then that would have never happened. But he said, I love you so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so he sends his son to the cross to die on the cross, the cruel death, and he defeats the grave. We know, we know the story. We know what happened. We know the account. But he's driven by love. Church, if we're going to live out our mission that God has given us, we have got to, we've got to increase our love quotient for the people that we engage with. Our hearts have got to expand with a greater love, and we're going to really help people find and follow Jesus. See, to be a kingdom-focused church, helping people find and follow Jesus, means that we must walk in love. It must be a love that's driven from the Father. This means we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength of all we are. And at the same time, then we strive and we grow as we love people. See, loving people involves both a tenderness and a toughness. That means I've got to have compassion. That means I've got to have grace, graciousness while I'm also bringing truthfulness. That means I, I can put up with people's differences. That means I can put up with they think different than me. They behave different than me. Their, their involvement of sin is different than my involvement of sin. That I'll have graciousness towards that. I'll have compassion and mercy. At the same time, I'll be pointing them towards truth to go, listen, no, God still forgives and, and, and God has a better plan for us. And we'll have those kind of honest, converse, honest conversations because if we love people, we're going to appoint them to help them grow and take a step with Jesus. See, loving God means loving people, and loving people means loving God. You can't separate the two. They fit together. They go, they go hand in hand because God is love, and love comes from God. And loving God results in loving people. 
If we truly say we love God and we truly believe we love God, then that should be shown in how we treat people. I mean, 1 John 4 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Oh, God, I love you so much. God, I praise you today on Sunday morning. Tomorrow I go to work. I can't stand that person. You go home this afternoon, man, my wife, she drives me crazy. All my kids, and the hate that starts to come out. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, you get to select if you choose your brother. Is that what it says? I mean, look at the text. We have from him, whoever loves God, what does it say? Must also love his brother. Now, the term brother is not like the male masculine. It's, it's brothers and sisters. It's, it's mankind. And, and there's not an option there. It doesn't say we have from him, whoever loves God gets to think about whether they're going to love their brother. It doesn't say whoever loves God, depending on how you feel today, you get to choose you're going to love your brother. It doesn't say whoever loves God, and because of your background and your history and because you have all these scars in the background, now you get to think about if you're going to love your brother. It says we must love our brother. We must love people. Church, we got to get good at this. we we got to get better at it. You know, it's hard to grade as, as a church body. It's hard to grade and say, well, are we doing good? I, I think we're doing good. Some days we're doing good, some days we're not. As individuals, I think we can probably grade ourselves a little bit better. And we say, you know, I do pretty good loving these kind of people, but these kind of people I don't do so good with. And you think about tomorrow when you go to work. Who is it, the person you're like, man, that person's really hard to love. They drive me crazy. Or, or you think about sports teams. You take your kid and you're like, okay, i got to love the coach because he's coaching the team. But, man, all those parents on the sideline, they drive me crazy. I mean, you, you start thinking about st- stages of life and people involved in your life who you need to grow in loving because God tells us if we love him, then we have to love other people. See, the big question we must all answer, then who is my neighbor? Who is this neighbor that God's referring to, that Jesus is referring to, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, who is my neighbor? Does that mean the people who are sharing my fence line with me? Yeah, that's your neighbor, but is that it? Probably not. Who is my neighbor? Does that mean it is the person who shares a cubicle with me or shares an office with me or who I see on the, on the assembly line? Yeah, they're my neighbors. Is that it? Probably not. In Luke chapter 10, the expert in the law, religious law, questioned Jesus about how to live out the greatest commandment. And he wanted to know from Jesus exactly what it meant. Like, okay, can we get down and you really clarify this for me, Jesus? Because if I'm going to do this, then i got to do it right. And, and, and there's got to be an exact answer to this when you command me to love my neighbor. And so this lawyer is asking him, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered by sharing a parable known as the Good Samaritan, which teaches that anyone who crosses your path and, and comes in need, comes in relationship with you, that's your neighbor. Now, in your growth guide and in your growth groups this week, you're going to dive in deeper in Luke chapter 10. It's a great, great story about how we love. But Jesus then changes the question of the story, and the key question is not who is my neighbor, but who is a good neighbor. In the parable, it was a Samaritan who reached out and helped. 
It was the Samaritan who saw the need and moved towards the needy person versus running from the needy person. It was the Samaritan who gave what he had to help out the person in need. He, approached, he embraced the person. He approached the person. He said, I'm going to help you out. And not only did he help him out, he gave him some extra money so he could continue to help him out. It's looking at that, that character of the person because love was different. A love that manifested itself in compassion and mercy. And so... Jesus tells this story to say, listen, as you come across people, as you interact with people, it's those that you interact with who you're supposed to love. And that kind of makes things a little more tough, doesn't it? It makes it a little more tough when you start thinking about going to the restaurant this afternoon and you have a waiter or waitress that's waiting on you. Please, please don't be that person that you see sometimes go around on social media with someone that wrote on the receipt of the waiter or waitress. Sorry, but I give my 10% to God. Don't, don't, don't be that person. That's not love. Waiters and waitresses. Just the other day, I had a, store, a, a conversation with a gentleman who installs um, Spectrum Cable into businesses. And he said, I, and I was talking with him, and the guy's not an active churchgoer, and I don't know where his faith was, but I was talking about installing, and he said, and he knew I was a pastor, and he said, just to be honest with you, he said, the worst places for me to do is churches. I said, what do you mean, what's the worst place? He said, because I go during the week. You know who I see? He said, I see the preachers and the secretaries. He said, they're some of the most hardest people to deal with, and they can be some of the most ugly. What kind of testimony is that if the preachers and the secretaries are having a hard time loving on people that come in the door to just do service-type industry into that facility? What about in your home? You have someone show up. You know, for instance, good example this week, and maybe you've had this happen. Um, we're having MetroNet. Right? They're digging in our backyards and they're cutting lines by accident. My line got cut this week, my internet line. I was a little furious. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm preaching about love. How do I do this? Because my backyard was torn up. If you've been at my house, you all know I, I like my grass and um, I don't like weeds in my grass, so to speak. And I like it being green and pretty. And of course, the sun hasn't helped much this year and the heat, but. And then they were back there digging holes and digging holes and digging holes. And, and then what do you do with that? If we behave like the world, just watch what people are saying. They're online. I can't believe Metronet. They're doing this. They cut my line. Blah, 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 blah. Inside of me, I was feeling that way. On the outside, I went, okay, go out there and love them. Take them some water. Be real patient. And work through the situation in a loving way. That's what we're supposed to do. You know what? Because of kindness, I was supposed to get whatever box they put in your backyard. The guy said, hey, we're going to move that and put it in the other person's backyard. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Thank you. But we all have those kinds of feelings towards people at times. And if we're going to walk in the love of Christ, we've got to walk through in prayer and say, God, help me love these people that right now are really hard to love. That's what the gospel calls us to. That's what it calls us to. The great commission and the great commandment must be held together in a single thought. Because we love God, we love people, and because we love people, we make disciples. And if we try to make disciples without love, then we're going to gain nothing. If we say we love people but never try to make disciples, then our love is a lie. You say, well, I love God. I love you so much, God. But if we're not going to try to make disciples, we're telling people, I don't really love you. And let me just tell you, church, 
We have the most important job in the world is what we do as a church. I know sometimes we don't, we don't behave like that. We don't always think like that. You say, well, I'm a president of a company. Now I've got 300 employees underneath me. That's an important job. It's an important job, but it's not as important as doing what God tells us to do and going to all the world and to make disciples. Well, I'm a school teacher, and I've got 40 kids I have to care for, and you don't understand how important it is. That's a very important job, a very important job, but it's not as important as making disciples. Well, I'm a preacher, and I've got this whole church to oversee. Yeah, you know what? It's an important job, not as important job as making disciples, and if we're not being led in that direction, then I'm not doing my job. We have to get real serious about this. See, if we say we love people, then we have to stop and think about, wait a minute, I love God, I love people. I want people to know Jesus because if they don't know Jesus, they don't receive Jesus, they don't accept Jesus, then I know their destiny is without Jesus. And I want to love people so much I help them to come to know Jesus so they will be with God forever. Two go together. They go together, they go hand in hand. And because of our love for God and people, then we help people find and follow Jesus. Our motive drives our passion. Our passion fuels our priorities, and then our heart energizes our hands. Now, let me ask your hands to move right now. Get out something to write with, or get out your phone and make a little note. Grab out a piece of paper on your message notes. We did this last week. We started by thinking about my love list. My love list is just names of people. People who you're praying for to come to know Jesus. People you know who maybe are struggling in their journey or their walk with Jesus. You say, I'm going to start praying for them. If we don't pray for people, we probably won't open our mouth to talk about Jesus with them. We probably won't speak up about it. But when you start praying for your neighbor, and you're praying for your coworker, and you're praying for your friend, and you're praying maybe for your school, the teacher of your kids, or you're praying for the coach of your kids, or whatever it is, as you're in relationship, and you start praying for them by name, and you have them before you, when you're praying for them, then when you go to interact with them, you'll start thinking, Lord, how can I have this conversation be a God-focused conversation? God, how can I speak Jesus in this conversation? Is there a way to make sense that for me to be able to say that? But it won't happen. You'll start praying for them. And let me encourage you to do this. You write out some names and then take a picture of it with your phone and make it your home screen on your phone. Make your home screen so that every time you open your home screen, what do you see? You see the names of the people that you're praying for. Now today I said that and several of you were ruffling around. You're grabbing out your piece of paper and you're grabbing out your device. Last week I brought this up and I got a lot of this. Which I understand. Sometimes some people just sit and just kind of chill and just listen. But church, we have got to get really serious about doing our mission. We, we cannot just play games. I'm getting too old to just want to play church. In my younger years of, of preaching and starting Centerpoint, it was like, oh, we're starting a church, let's just go. As 50 is getting closer and closer to me, my mind is getting much more purposeful and much more um, on point. And I don't know if that just comes with age. Maybe it does. I don't know if that God's just stirring in, your heart, in my heart. And so sometimes my preaching is going to get a little bit more direct. And I'm just going to get real direct to you, church. We have got to have a love list. I should be able to walk up to you at any point and say, hey, show me your love list. A friend should be able to walk up to you and say, hey, who are you praying for? Who's on your love list? When you meet together with your growth group this week and they say, hey, tell me your love list. It should just start oozing out of you. Oh, man, I'm praying for this person, this person, this person, this person. Here's my love list. I know my name. 
But what happens many times, hey, you got some of your thing about, uh, who's on my mind? Who am I thinking about? Who am I, let me see if I can come up with one. Let me see if I can come up with one. We've got to change that church. And as we start praying and, and growth group leaders, I want to encourage you to make this a topic of conversation every single week when you meet. Who are we praying for? Put your love list together and have a big old long love list and say, these are people we're praying for. And pull out that piece of paper and stick it on the wall. See, we're going to start praying. And as we pray, God, we're going to pray, but God, will you then move in me, move in us so that we will go to these people and help them, show them the love of Christ. We demonstrate the love of Jesus to them. That's what we're working towards. Now, as you think about the mission and the motive, so here's our mission, help people find and follow Jesus, the motive we're driven by love. Then next we have to say, well, what's the vision of that? What's the process, so to speak? What's that going to look like? How are we going to do that? That's the vision. What, what's the, what's the, the meat on the bone, so to speak, to say how are we going to accomplish that? And so as the leadership team has been meeting this year, this we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get more purposeful? And so I told you last week, we're kind of upgrading our, our vision statement, kind of upgrade 2.0, so to speak. I'm going to just kind of quickly give it to you today, but this is where we're going the next four weeks. We're going to start breaking this down. Step number one is that we connect people with Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the current ministries. What we've been doing is looking at the current ministries that we have, and we're looking at, okay, God, what new ministries might we, might, might we need so that we can help connect people with Christ? Well, who are we trying to connect with Christ? We're trying to connect the person who doesn't know Jesus. We're trying to connect with the person maybe who's wandered away from their faith in Jesus. We're trying to connect with the person who is maybe they're new in the area. We have a lot of that, people moving in, and sometimes that's when people kind of wander away from their connection with Christ. So we want to connect with them. And so we're trying to figure out as a church, how do we connect with people and connect them to Jesus? Our step number two then is that they center their lives on Jesus. We center our lives on Christ. That should be a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week relationship, that our walk with God with Jesus Christ is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just when I go to Bible study. That it's every single day. When I'm going throughout my day, I'm thinking about, what does Jesus want me to do? I'm praying continually. I'm, I'm, I'm just engaged with the Spirit. That it's an ongoing relationship. That 24 hours a day, seven days a week, He operates at the center of my life. So when something goes on like Metronet tearing up my backyard and I'm about ready to go crazy because I come home and holes and my yard's been cut and my, my line's been cut in half, I'm going, okay, Lord, you got to get in the middle of this. What am I saying? you got to get in the middle of me. you got to get control of my emotion. you got to get control of how I'm going to say something before I go and say something that doesn't represent Christ well. And so we live 24-7. Step three is to discover our call from Christ. What we mean by a call is what is our purpose? What is our, what is our personality? What is our giftedness? If you haven't taken the spiritual gifts test yet that we have on our website, I encourage you to do that. It's going to be part of where we're going in the journey heading towards November 2 and 3. But our call from Christ is God has made all of us different. He's given all of us different personalities, different likes, different passions. And he says, listen, I have a, a ministry for you here. I have a ministry for you here. I want you to be engaged here because we're all different. Not all of you are going to stand up and preach. This was God's call on my life as I stand up and preach. Some of you are going to do some other things. And we want to discover that and say, okay, where do we all fit within God's great plan so we understand his call? And then step four is that we go change the world through Christ. That as we, as we connect with him and we center our lives on him, we understand our call, then more and more we should say, how can I go change the world? Maybe the world that I live within right now, my workplace, my school, and maybe I'm, I'm going to go to different lands, I'm going to go to different different city. I think about Ruth Mattyoke, Greg and Julie Mattyoke, you're right here. Would you guys stand up just real quick? 
I know. Julie's like, oh, man, your daughter's not on here. Just real quick. This is Greg and Julie Matioc, okay, if you don't know who they are. You can go ahead and be seated. See, that's not real long. Uh, they adopted two children from, remind me, Ethiopia six years ago, right? Is that right? Um, and their daughter's name is Ruth. And they've helped Ruth connect with Jesus. And Ruth has been growing. Ruth is now 17 years old. And I think about changing the world, and Ruth is getting this at 17 years old. She's starting to really understand this. And I just look forward to see what happens now and happens in the future in her life. But, you know, we have the connection card. And every week for I don't know how many weeks in a row now, she has been putting a prayer request on there about helping because she is restarting, um, she is restarting Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Bryan Station High School. Now, Ruth, we are joking because Ruth was back in the high school class afterward, and I went and stood by her, and Phil Horn stood by her, and Phil's about 6'4", and I'm 6'5", and Ruth's about 4'11". So she said, uh, Ruth is small but mighty. She's mighty because her heart is focused on God. Her heart is focused on Jesus. And I can't tell you some of the personal conversations I've had with her when she asked about, why do you do this or why do you do that? What, what? And she's asked questions about ministry. She's asking about how to connect with Jesus. At, at 17 years old in, in Bryan Station High School, about 1,500 to 2,000 students, she's saying, I'm helping getting this restarted. They got a teacher on board, and I think just a few students right now. We need to be praying for her. But there's a young lady who gets it. She's like, I'm here to change the world. Is she there to go to school and learn and get good grades and all that? Yeah. Yeah, she is. But her bigger purpose is she's a missionary right there within her own school. And she gets it. You understand we're all missionaries? You realize that? Whether you want to accept it or not, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary. You're a missionary at Toyota. You're a missionary at Sandersville Elementary. You're a missionary when you go to McDonald's and work. You're a missionary if you're at the president of the bank. You're a missionary. Wherever you go, you're a missionary. God has placed you in that field to carry the name of Jesus. That's when we get the idea of change. So what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into each one of these steps. We're going to take each one of those steps, lay them out before you, help you biblically understand why that became part of the step. And then also we're going to look at, okay, these are ministries right now that help make that step happen. And now here are some other ministries we think could help each of those steps get a little better that we'd like to implement in the next two or three years. It's going to take a little bit of time to work through that. But then when we're done with this series, you're going to be able to go, man, I understand where our church is at. I understand where we're going. And hopefully you'll say, I understand how I could possibly plug in to help us do our mission. So that's where we're heading, church, helping people find and follow Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father.